Hello and welcome to the Pain Cave. My name is Jay Friedman. I'm your host and I'm very excited to be joined as always by my co-host and partner in crime, the Fulham Flyer, the Shawangunk Express. He is the Scott Jurek to my Scott Pilgrim. Phil Vondra, welcome back to the Pain Cave. It is good to be here. It feels like it's been at least a week. <laughs> Maybe. If that, if that. Phil, this is going to be a really awesome episode. This is, I, I, I thought I was going to say this is the, the first episode where we've ever had two guests at once. I guess that's technically not the case because we, we did that in the shoe draft. But this is possibly our most star-studded episode of all time. We have two all-time greats here on the show with us tonight who are going to talk about some really exciting recent projects they've been working on and also help us preview the big dance that is coming up in just over a week's time. We have two of the returning top tens on both the men's and the women's side. Starting with the women, we have literally the defending champ of the Western States Endurance Run. She will be wearing the F1 bib in just over a week. She is one of the all-time superstars of our sport, and she runs for Patagonia and La Sportiva. Please welcome Claire Gallagher to the Pain Cave. Claire, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's, waving at you from Colorado. It's so good to have you here. And on the men's side, her counterpart, we have wearing the M10 bib this year. And I believe a four-time top 10 finisher at Western States, if I'm not mistaken. And also the defending champion at the Run Rabbit 100. Is it still called the Run Rabbit 100? I think it is. Uh, Rabbit Run. Run Rabbit Run. Very good. <laughs> Coming in uh, from Colorado as well, he runs for Ultra and Ultra Spire. Please welcome Kyle Piatari. Kyle, welcome to the Paint Cave. Thanks, Jay. Thanks, Phil. Glad to. I think this is what they call star-studded. Is the word. This is when when we make the movie. Tip of the iceberg here. When we make the movie poster, this is these are the faces that we're gonna we're gonna have right Absolutely. on the poster at the front. This is yes. fantastic. I'm you excited. Guys, you guys are you flatter us. <laughs> a little over the top, but <laughs> yeah. I'll take it. I guess. So. Yeah, so there, there's a ton to talk about with you guys, and we're going to get into it in just a second. But Phil, before we get started, what are we drinking tonight? Well, tonight I am drinking an Athletic Brewing Free Wave. It's a high, hazy IPA, and uh, I think it's pretty much zero alcohol. I'm in uh, full training mode for a big race in a couple of weeks, so... Um, yeah. Okay. So I think that means I'm going to be the only person actually drinking alcohol tonight. I have a, a Polly's Island Brewing Company, Big Sandy Beaches. I'm a, not sure if you exactly call drinking alcohol, letting it sit there and evaporate in front of you. Oh, please. You got to drink it. <laughs> Phil, what do you have coming up? Manitou's Revenge 54 miler. It's a, um, a mountain race through the Catskills on the Devil's Path. It's very, very burly. Uh, it's nice. 54 miles, 15,000 feet of gain. Um, the Devil's Pass, one of the most rugged hiking trails in the US. Um, and uh, there's almost zero chance of coming off that trail without significant amount of blood on your body. It's, uh, it's a pretty aggressive trail, but it's local. Uh, it's a really, really good race. Yeah, so the- I'm very excited and equally terrified. Devil's Path is a... Um- like a tw- the Devil's Path itself is, I think, 23 miles. Is that right, Phil? Uh, yeah, that's slightly over, maybe 24, 25, yeah. Usually, usually takes hikers two to three days. And uh, in this case, it's basically the second half of a 54-mile race, which, uh, yeah, it's brutal. It's a 54-mile race with, what, what did they, does he have a 24-hour cutoff? Or I don't even remember what it is. I think they've reduced it to 22 hours now. Yeah, it did used to be 24, yeah. Brutal. So in my time in the Northeast... All I ever heard about Manchu's Revenge suggested that everyone who makes it to the finish line looks like they just spent 
a long time in a war zone. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's that's a good. Yeah, that's basically right. You're gonna <laughs> so crush it. Good luck, Bill. But it is We're fun. Rooting for you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do have to tell this story just oh, no. briefly. This was. <laughs> yeah, let's hear it. This was, I think, was this our first hundred that we ran together? I think we were. Uh, was it Rocky? Uh, yeah, this was our first year at Rocky Raccoon, and this was the first hundred oh. mile we had ever done. <laughs> this is the bus ride to the airport, right? Yeah, so we, you know, we finished Rocky, and then we we uh, went back to our hotel and then had a nap, and and we were getting on the bus, uh, the shuttle bus from the rental car place to the airport. You know, uh, three in the afternoon or so. The race has just ended at noon. Maybe it's two in the afternoon. And uh, we're, you know, we're doing the ultra shuffle, and everyone looks kind of washed out. And you know, on the shuttle bus across from us are two people, uh, a couple, uh, who clearly have just come straight from the finish line of Rocky. Like, you know, they, they have the, the thousand yard stare, they're doing the ultra shuffle, they're gimping around. And, um, you know, a, as we're, we, we strike up a little conversation, it becomes pretty clear that, you know, for both of them, this was, you know, uh, <laughs> I don't know how to put the, you know, a war zone, I guess, would be a, a, a a good way to a good way to put it. They they had clearly been through the ringer. They had basically, I think, the woman had come in with about twenty minutes to spare before the thirty hour cutoff. And the more we talked to them, it was fairly obvious that she was about ready to murder her husband uh, for for oh, yeah. putting her through this. So, yeah. you know, meanwhile, we're, we're we're we figure out we're on the same flight. They're from Connecticut or something like that, and um, we start talking about other races that we've done. And you know, I, I'm trying to. Mentioned so we've just finished Rocky. It's a it's a great race. I love Rocky. We've both been back multiple times, but it's not the hardest course in the world. It's you know it's it's a fun trail. It's certainly for the most part pretty runnable. If you're taking only a hundred miles, right? But if you're taking thirty hours to finish Rocky, you know you it, it's um you you might be a beginner or you might be you know maybe maybe a, a super technical course is not the way to go if you've just you know come through this this experience that puts you through the ringer of Rocky. So, you know, we're like oh, uh, trying to pick out some some easier courses or stuff. I, we talked about Cayuga Trails, which it, it, it in itself is not an easy course. And Phil is trying to sell this woman on going to Manitou's Revenge. And, you know, it's only 54 miles. It's the most beautiful thing you've ever run. We got off the bus. And I'm like, Phil, this woman is going to hunt you down. There is no way that she is thinking that this is... No, nobody thinks this is a good idea to begin with, let alone this woman. It was, you know, Phil, Phil has a five-time finisher right now. Absolutely <laughs> loves it. She's a burly mountain athlete. It's changed her life. Yeah. It might be negative. I mean, she had the best experience ever. She's now this like crazy like mountain racing machine. That's, that's what hilarious. I believe. That's, that's my narrative, and I'm staying with it. It's like you finish Leadville, and you're like, oh, yeah, then just go do Hard Rock. Like, you'll love it. <laughs> that's exactly right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or or, or, or TDG. Right. Yeah. Leadville yeah. was good. Yeah. No. TDG. You'll love it. It's it's fantastic. Yeah, it's do, do Barkley. That's um, really sick. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, all right. Now that we've spent the first ten minutes of your guys' valuable time telling a story that nobody gives a crap about, um, let's let's a good story. <laughs> let's talk a little bit. <laughs> let's talk a little bit about uh, what you guys both did very recently. And uh, before we get into Western states, because I really want to hear about your project um, where you guys were up in the Boundary Waters. Um, why don't we start with you, Kyle? Tell us a little bit about uh, this project, or or actually, Claire, why don't why don't you tell us a little bit about how this project came about and um, what kind of a role you played in it? Because I know, you know, you, you're you're uh, very involved in conservation and you know protecting our planet in this kind of I think 
fits in perfectly with the, the kind of projects that you've involved yourself in over the years? Yeah, so it all revolves around this one guy named Alex Falconer. He's uh, lived in Minnesota most of his life or his whole life. And uh, I think he's in his early 40s. Basically, I met Alex a couple years ago uh, and he, he came up to me at Outdoor Retailer, that like outdoor industry uh, show mm -hmm. and was like, I got this idea to to go on a run across the boundary waters. And then I had heard about the issue. This issue has been many, many years in the making. Kyle knows a lot more about the ins and outs of the issue than I do. I've sort of been the fixer in the project more or less because Alex, com Alex comes up with this idea to run across the boundary waters, 110 miles. It's connecting two tra trails, the border route trail. And then how do you pronounce it, Kyle? Kekakabic, the Kekakabic Kek Kek trail. The Kek Kek for uh, which which totals 110 miles and and this is not just like any wilderness area for for listeners to to make some context this is America's most visited wilderness area hmm. in in in, a, in the country so it gets over 200,000 visitors a year which might not sound like a lot compared to like Yosemite or Grand Canyon but but this is a wilderness area so it's it's highly highly visited for such a protected place and there are these proposed it's a proposed copper mine uh that would be right on the outside of the border of this wilderness area mm -hmm. um which is highly problematic for many many reasons and alex also happens to be the policy wonk he's a super nerdy policy dude he used to work on obama's senate campaign back back in the day oh, wow. and and now he works for this nonprofit, save the boundary waters and this is a a nonprofit that really punches above its weight. Uh, it, it lobbies in DC. It's basically looking for permanent protection of all these mineral leases that border the wilderness area. Mm -hmm. So to like retire these leases um, and Kyle can go into that more. And so Alex is just like, you know, all these canoe people know about the issue, all these fisher, um, fishermen, fisherwomen, like, um, the, the Ashinabi people are aware of it, but like, what about the runners? Like right. there happen to be incredible running trails in Minnesota. You know, you got the superior hiking trail, uh, you superior 100, you got, in, you know, grandma's marathon, you got all this stuff and, um, and twin cities running is like huge. So let's, let's like spread awareness about this really, really important place and issue, um, to the running community. Yeah. Yeah. Kyle, tell us a little bit about some of the environmental issues that are raised by this proposed uh, mining operation? Yeah, so to take a step back, I work at a law firm and we sued the federal government under the Trump administration twice regarding these mineral leases that could result in mines being built within the watershed of the Boundary Waters. And let's keep in mind that this is the most pristine water in the United States, in the lower 48 at least. People literally drink out of the lakes and streams. In fact, we did that during this run. <laughs> There's never been proof that one of these copper mines is safe and could be built and eventually decommissioned without extensive impacts to the watershed. So we are challenging 
some agency procedures regarding these mining leases. And I won't go into the details regarding the lawsuits, but the key point for people listening here today is that this is pristine, beautiful wilderness with fantastic running trails and world famous canoeing. So it's actually known as the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness. Right. People go on canoe trips there, you paddle around, you find a spot to camp, then you paddle around some more, find another spot. And it's gorgeous, it's wild, it's very undeveloped and pristine. Mining should not be allowed in a place like that. Right, right. And like you said, I've heard of the Boundary Waters as a canoe or a kind of a waterways destination, but I wasn't really aware that the the trails there really existed or that you could run across the length of this wilderness area. Were you guys familiar with this before you undertook this project in terms of the running impact of it? No, absolutely not. I was totally on <laughs> like you, Jay. Yeah. I mean, I'm like, oh, yeah, people go and canoe up there. I have a ton of family from the Midwest. Everyone's like, yeah, we go canoeing in the Boundary Waters. You know, it's like a really popular trip. It's it's a way to disconnect and and spend time with, you know, loved ones. My grandfather spent five weeks up there 70 years ago. He was like, yeah, we went deep into Canada. And I just picture everyone's always in canoes. And right. so that's where Alex Falconer comes in. Here's this guy who's just connecting his passion of ultra running with this place. And he's, I mean, he's staring at maps all day and is like, <laughs> this route goes, you know? And like Kyle and I saw firsthand, like, it goes. It's not a wide trail. It's more like a half track in many in many spots. It's extremely rugged terrain. Yeah. Like for those looking for an adventure, like put it on your list. If you like, you know, that brutal death by a thousand cuts uh, type of trail. Right, right, right. <laughs> this is your trail, especially the border <laughs> route, which is 65 miles. Uh, yeah, I, I had no idea. And that's um, I'm definitely converted. So how much time yeah, we'll did you guys see? I'm sorry, go you on. You will Kyle. see moose and wolf poop, if not actual moose and wolves. Wow. wow. Yeah, see our uh, little river otters uh, right on the border of Canada and the U.S. We, we aren't sure which passports they they hold. Um, they, didn't, they didn't tell us. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you'll see other things. I mean... I mean, you name it, Alex, uh, what are there, snapping turtles? We saw some snapping turtles, Kyle. Um, there's a lot of wildlife yeah, in there's short. There's so much wildlife. Because there's insane. not a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So how, how many miles did you guys put in with Alex on this? So, so back to what I was saying before, before we dive into the specifics there, this was a really cool opportunity for me to blend my lawyer work with my ultra running. So when I heard about the trip and that Alex, who's on staff for this environmental group that is my client, I, and they found out that I'm an ultra runner, they invited me to go. And I've been trying to get up there for a while because it's it really should be a bucket list destination for anyone who's into the outdoors in general. So I heard about this run. I was like, whoa, okay, this is legit. And he's got all these logistics figured out. Nobody's done this before. 110 miles connecting two trails that are each point to point. So it seems very elegant when you view it that way, but nobody had done it before. So the specifics were other people did the first 70 miles on the border route trail, then I paced 40 miles on the Keck, the Keck of Kavik to the finish. Wow. And so Claire, you were over the yeah. first half? 
Yeah, we, well, and it's funny because I've been working with Kyle, like I said, for the last three years or so, you know, things got in the way, the pandemic, you know, devastation happened. And, and to be honest, I was like, we could, we could use some more pacers, you know, <laughs> like I only paced 30 miles. I didn't want to do much more. Uh, we've got a big race coming up and I'm a pretty low mileage runner. And, and then I started to see that Kyle's like on these email trains. I'm like, what the heck does this lawyer <laughs> from Denver have to do with any of this? And so it really was one of those collisions of, of like, wow, I had no idea that like big law works with environmental law in the way that, that Kyle does. And um, Kyle was totally a closer. Cause basically I ran with uh, Alex from call it mile. It was like, mile 40 to yeah 70 so and it was it was the worst i think section <laughs> i'm biased um we sounds had, like, like it was pretty bad, <laughs> please, please it was bad. Claire. um really really extreme heat in the afternoon followed by torrential thunderstorms with like some lightning and thunder and whatnot and i'm like ax asking alex because he's the expert right he's been there I don't know, hundreds of times and all these save the boundary waters people have done paddle in aid stations, like crazy hardcore people. Aid stations They're paddling by canoe. That's crazy. Literally oh my God. Three hour paddles to go meet us to give us, you know, like dehydrated pad thai. And <laughs> and and Alex is just like, Yeah, we gotta keep running. So, you know, torrential rain and um really, really slow down in the middle of the night. I think I, I finished around midnight, one AM really really cold because it was wet and it was about 40 degrees alex was extremely prepared so um i feel like he gets so many kudos for the logistics of such a remote and potentially quite dangerous run you know being in such remoteness so if right. anyone's thinking about going up there you know make sure you get a guard like an inreach type of um device so that you can always contact people uh but yeah, then Kyle, then our, our buddy Peyton, uh, new Patagonia trail running ambassador, Peyton Thomas, took him for really hard 10 miles in the middle of the night. And then and then Kyle picked him up at like 6 a.m. and refused to go on until Alex ate some more food. Ah, <laughs> uh, there you go. See, that's an, that's an experience pacer like for it. you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you two would have been proud. Uh, like season ultra runners Kyle just was like business mode was like yeah. we're not leaving here until you finish that piece of bread uh, okay okay let me set the stage here so so he gets through the 70 mile border route trail 70 miles went through like hellacious rainstorm it got really cold there had been puking and this is all gnarly single track and I don't know maybe I think like, I heard you saw like two people total the whole 70 miles wow so he gets he gets to where the border route trail ends and the keck starts so it's in between the two trails i'm there with alex's whole family including some i, I believe his parents-in-law and his, his three kids and we have the whole crew including claire peyton uh photographer brendan davis from boulder who also ran a bunch with him he's, he's a great runner and matt wardo who works at a running store in the twin cities and we're all there sitting around alex who had really lost his ability to eat he's in this chair with this rubber ducky blanket it's it's just <laughs> looks like a little kid's blanket because it is it's over him everybody's freezing we're all more or less had been up awake the entire night it's really cold he can't get any food down and we're literally in the middle of nowhere like there's no <laughs> chance anybody's going to come by or see us 
And it's like, wait, he didn't even eat anything after sitting here for 20 minutes. Okay, he's not leaving until he eats. So we like force him to get down some gluten-free bread and a <laughs> oh, little gosh. bit of broth. And from there, he just kind of turned it all around. But, but really this, this scene of all these people kind of in miserable conditions, huddled around a grown man, just like huddled, curled up under You're a Robert ducky, ducky blanket. blanket. <laughs> yeah, this is just the true essence of ultra running in my mind. I was going to say, it. it's like it just the, epitomizes like a, what this sport is all yeah. about. Right. It's just distilling it down to the essence right there. Watching him nurse a piece of bread as well. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Is he going to eat the bread? So Isn't he going to eat the bread? It's a crowd of people gather around him. And his kids see me like, going like open up for the choo-choo <laughs> apparently his kids were a little bit traumatized like is daddy gonna be mad at that guy <laughs> <laughs> keep telling him to eat <laughs> that's hilarious that's so great yeah i mean and then kyle did and Matt did such a job, good job pacing alex and of course alex did actually the the work uh, we almost missed him finish. I was telling his family, his wife, I'm like, yeah, it'll be like 8 p.m. earliest. Finish at 6 p.m. So it ended up being, <laughs> um, yeah, about 38 hours and change and completely smashed it. That's awesome. You know, right? so it was it was a, an incredible feat of advocacy, but also of legitimate trail running, like yeah. legitimate ultra running. That's awesome. That's awesome. So what, what was, I mean, uh, I, I guess the goal of the, of the whole project, other than having an amazing experience, obviously, was awareness. So what kind of stuff uh, surrounding this uh, in order to raise awareness for the Boundary Waters and, and protecting that area was, was tied into this, this project? Well, well, I would say that just by getting on podcasts like, like this right now and having a lot of people involved, like I said, we had this whole crowd you know, circled around him while he's in the middle of nowhere with a ducky blanket. <laughs> and doing something so epic is a way to really showcase that this could be a really, it, it's a really underappreciated trail running destination. Yeah. And the fact that you can, you have water the whole way, so you, you can actually go point to point without having to worry about that. It's totally doable for somebody who's sufficiently prepared. And so, so just getting the word out within the trail and ultra community is accomplishing one of the main things we wanted to accomplish. And, and further, yeah. of course, there's the advocacy component and raising awareness about these dangerous mines that really should not be built near the boundary waters. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so more concretely, we'll give it to you the link in the show notes that um, there's a bill in the House of Representatives, so at the federal level for uh, protection of this area that would essentially prevent this mine from being built. Um, and so even even signing this bill, bill or this this letter mm -hmm. uh, that anyone listening can do, it might feel a bit like collectivism, but ultimately it actually matters when, you know, say you, you live in any state, you know, Colorado, Texas, New York, you know, you name it. If if you sign this letter, the way it works is that's a, a letter that goes to your representative. So someone in New York who represents you and they get a note that like, oh, my constituent cares about the boundary waters. Right. Because they're the ones who will ultimately vote on this bill when it comes up for a vote. So uh, these public lands bills at the federal level are pretty beautiful and how uniting they are. 
of of Americans and like any American can protect any public land. We're all shared landowners, right? So um, regardless of where you live, uh, you you can totally play a part in this. Yeah. And I, I would second that, like you say, signing on to stuff like that or even just calling your representative. You know, I know Phil, uh, Brian, our, our buddy had called our representative's office regarding something that was, I think, impacting the Angeles Crest 100 a, a couple of years ago. Ah. And, you know, again, same kind of thing where we're in upstate New York. I mean, Angeles Crest is, you know, 3000 miles away, but he got a call back from somebody from uh, Representative Delgado's office and actually had like a 20 or 30 minute conversation about, you know, conservation and projects that are that are important to people in our community. And um, yeah, so that sort of thing really helps, I think, Uh, you know, like you said, even if it's you know, kind of remote from from their area. They, they, we're all Americans, and and these these folks vote on important issues that affect everybody. Uh, and making your voice known is is super important that way. So yeah, Claire, if you yeah. if you guys have links, uh, we'll we'll definitely post mm-hmm. that stuff. That's yeah. awesome to hear. I did a little researching today, and like the pictures look amazing there. I mean, it looks absolutely stunning. I mean, just you know, I, I think it's uh, a million acres or something, and twenty percent of that's water. Um, so many islands, so much wildlife. It looks absolutely incredible. And it's a, a dark sky sanctuary as well, I think. So the nights there is super like clear skies. It really does sound like a place that uh, is a kind of must visit. You can um, even see the northern yeah. lights from there. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Even, yeah, it's yeah. stunning. Even know? this time of year? Yeah. In fact, we, we missed it when we were up there, but it apparently there were conditions such that it may have been visible. Wow. That'd be something. Yeah. Yeah. It looks amazing. It, it definitely needs to be protected and visited by the... Yeah, and I think it's important to, to note that uh, a counter-argument, as with any issue that's controversial like this, and the counter-argument is like, okay, so we need copper, right? We need copper for batteries, for electric vehicles, you name it. And the reality is there are better places to have a copper mine and and it might even be in the US. Like I, I don't f- believe in like full scale anti-mining. I mean, I think that's needed in some ways to expedite research and development on synthetic replacements, but this is one of those places where it truly makes no sense. Like they don't even know how much copper is up there. And the deal with this particular mine is it's sulfide ore, which is particularly gnarly. I mean, there's probably mining experts who are listening who could explain it much better than me, but um, pretty much any error results in like immediate contamination of the watershed. God. So. And like you say, without even knowing, (laughs) right. And without even knowing what's down there for just to start, you know, digging seems, seems nuts. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems like it's a one-way thing as well. I mean, once it's contaminated, there's no uncontaminating it. You know, it's like a, it's a one-way, one-way thing. I mean, this area is so big, you're not you're not going to clean all this water. So the water is all interconnected. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. Now, and how far is this from Minneapolis or from the Twin Cities area? How 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 difficult of a trip is it to uh, to get there? How remote? It's a few hours from the Twin Cities. There are a couple different access points. And you can also fly into Duluth, Minnesota, which I've actually lived in for about a year of my life. Mm-hmm. My wife's from there. And it's it's remote for sure. But everyone listening, put it on your bucket list. It's worth going there. It's been on my list for a while. And this was such a cool way to go and finally see it. 
That's awesome. Yeah. There's a lot of cool, great outfitters in there's sort of two portal towns called Grand Marais, uh, which is on Lake Superior. And then you have Ely, which is more west. And and you basically, you know, you show up at a outdoor shop and they they tell you the drill. Okay. <laughs> it's one of those places that if you're not familiar with canoeing and, and how to travel in a wilderness area, you definitely want to do your research ahead mm-hmm. of time. But um the locals there are so badass they're so hardcore hardcore. it's like negative 30 in the winters and they do like they just they go camp on the ice they they do it all i mean there's not a weekend of the year they're not out there you know yeah yeah (laughs) duluth is duluth is awesome i was there once for for grandma's which one of you guys had mentioned which great race and a really really cool town like uh you know kind of right kind of i mean feel a little bit like New Paltz, like a, a small college town, kind of, you know, rural, a little bit middle of nowhere, but has this really cool vibe. Very, very cool place. Sounds amazing. It's on my list for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Fast marathon. Very fast. Mostly downhill. Great, great course. Point to point. Finishes at an Italian restaurant. Your, downhill PR marathon that finishes at an Italian restaurant. I did I mean, not. <laughs> I did not get my PR there. Uh, I actually, I had a pretty rough day, but that was, that was actually an interesting this was this was in my my pre ultra days. That was an interesting uh, experience for me because I, I that was the first time I'd ever taken anything other than water during a race, um, mm. and I had you know my race had had already gone to crap, and uh, I think I got to mile nineteen, and there were there was a goo tent there, and they were handing out goo, and that was the first time I had ever taken goo, and suddenly uh, my race was rescued. Not to not to a PR level, but I I was I went from you know basically walking to, to, you know, running a, a decent pace for the last six miles, um, turned me on to the value of nutrition, uh, but a beautiful course. That's awesome. Yeah. Great, great That's course. Awesome. And, uh, and a really, really well-run race and, and fast. I mean, I, 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 yeah, I had a crud day, but I remember there were probably six or eight women who like came in under the Olympic qualifying time that day. Um, it was, uh, it, it's, it's a really fantastic course. While we're talking about Duluth, I'll just add it has great trails too, like right in the city and outside the city. You've got the Superior 100 there, you got the Voyager 50, and it's also a hotbed of running talent. The likes of Scott Jurek and Kerry right. Goucher are both from Duluth. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Superior is definitely on my list. That's that's a that's a bucket list one for me. I DNF Superior. It's my only 100 mile DNF. Oh. So I got to go back and finish it sometime. You're spoiling our 20 questions uh, segment. We'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> Kyle, you gotta go out. back. You <laughs> go back when when the boundary waters are permanently protected. Yes, there we go. Yeah. That's my way to celebrate. Yeah, yeah, good. That sounds good. Let's talk a little bit about what's going on next week. We'll spin this forward a little bit because what is going on next week? Nothing that I know uh, of, other than oh, you mean Manitou's revenge. <laughs> <laughs> other than the Leadville training camp and the biggest date on the U.S. ultra running calendar, we you guys are going to be at the start line in Olympic Valley. Kyle is, yes, this is an audio medium, but Kyle is showing us his Western States mug. Fantastic. It's a nice looking cup too. Something non-alcoholic, I'm sure. Uh, I do do it for the mugs. (laughs) (laughs) This is, I think, I I mean, as somebody who's followed the sport for, I don't know, a decade or so, this is one of, if not the best ultra running fields on both sides, men and women, that I can ever recall, certainly at the 100 mile distance, uh, certainly in this country. Let's start with you, Kyle, as, uh, you know, uh, again, a four-time top 10 finisher. 
how does this year feel different, if at all, than previous years? And how are you approaching what's going to be definitely an epic day? Yeah, so I'll second your thoughts on this being a particularly stacked field. Whether it's the most stacked in history, I think is TBD. It depends on if there are any more noteworthy DNSs. But I've been describing it as the most competitive men's field, or at least deepest in any of any North American ultra ever. Mm -hmm. I think I would still say as much. So what's different this year is that there's a complete dearth of international talent at the top end of the field. Right. And that's obviously because of COVID. So what what is what is an extremely specific to the men's that's specific to the men's field, Kyle. Correct. Unfortunately for you, Claire, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, just yeah, clarifying. Okay, go ahead. Claire's gonna have to foreigners and and uh americans yeah we had we had beth on the show a few weeks ago i uh, saw that yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah sorry go I on that it was a good one <laughs> thanks it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting as always it's kind of cliche to say it but the heat will be a big factor we'll see how that how that shapes up in the week of to come or so right now it's looking like low 90s is likely which is relatively cool, but not chill. So <laughs> I think I think if it's if it's above ninety and stays hot for much of the day, the people with more experience I think will have a bit of an advantage. That's far from guarantees any outcome, but I'm hoping for lots of heat. So if it was gonna, if it was 106, I would be happy. Like it's gonna be 106 this weekend in in Auburn, mm. but it could be. A, probably be a lot cooler on race day than that. As for myself, what am I looking to do? Just same as I always do, try to get top 10 and run as fast as I possibly can. For me, that usually means I'm kicking it towards the end of the race pretty hard and running fairly even splits. Not because I go out slow, just because I have some automatic braking mechanism that keeps me from going out too fast mostly out of fear of pain and suffering. So it's some self-preservation <laughs> thing that's subconscious. So I'm, I'm telling myself I should go out a little faster this year because the field's so competitive. And I don't know, I think only Strava will tell if I actually do. You know, we had Max on the show last week and we were talking a little bit about, you know, how you structure your race strategy you know, to what extent do you structure your race strategy based on who is running and, you know, maybe knowing what kind of tactics somebody else might have, or in this case, even just the depth of the field and the way that we know people like Jim and Jared are, are likely to run. Does that sort of thing, I mean, I mean, I know everyone says that you want to run your own race and you don't want to be affected by what's going on around you, but does, does, it's got to be hard to ignore, you know, obviously the, the, the stars in the field and, and the way that the race is likely to be run, which might be different from what you would do at Run Rabbit or, or something else. How much does this sort of thing affect you pre-race and in real time on race day, like responding to moves or, or the strategies of those around you? Or is it really just a, you have to shut everything out and just run your own race? Yeah, for me, I'm definitely racing people from pretty early on. I would say mile 20 or so to the finish, I'm competing head to head with the people around me. Hmm. And I kind of know like things are going right if I'm running with Jeff Browning. That's around, exactly that's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> around mile thirty-eight or so, we just always end up leapfrogging around there, and then I sort of pass him, and he ends up catching me, and we're, we stay close together. 
So I'm just assuming that's going to happen because that's just what happens. We're both <laughs> we're, we're both going into our fifth consecutive year, and I believe we're the only people in the field with four consecutive top tens. So it'll be really interesting to see which of us can outlast the other. I, I guess on that note, um, I'll just add that age is a big factor here mm. because every year that goes by, I get a year older, but Jeff gets a year younger. <laughs> So, it does seem that way. So he's really got he's really got a big he's really got a big advantage on me. I got to beat him before you know before this works too much against me. Claire, as we mentioned, you're coming in with the F1 bib. You had a an absolutely riveting battle in 2019, and uh, you know I think to most outside observers that was kind of the race of the year in 2019, and and I think it stuck with a lot of us. AJW said it was the best women's race he's ever seen. What additional pressure, if any, do you feel coming in as the defending champ? Or are you able to kind of block that out and, and you know, approach this with a fresh mindset? Yeah, I feel pretty grateful for the mindset I've developed over uh, my few years in this sport, which is, um, yeah, I'm like... I'm feeling pretty mellow to be honest. <laughs> like I I'm uber competitive once the gun goes off, but the relationship I've really honed with running and racing is is one of like one of love. I I just absolutely love running. I love running. I love racing. And, and that's paramount, like in every step I'm going to take. And then like gratitude, of course, like I'm, Kyle and I are really lucky to be healthy right now. You know, there'll be a lot of, well, not a lot, but I'm sure there already are some that I'm not even aware of DNSs uh, in the elite field and then, and, and beyond, you know, so we all know everyone listening is a runner, like it sucks to be injured. So I, I'm just like happy to be on the start line. I'm excited to race Brittany again, of course, uh, and all of the other women. So like we said, uh, the women's field has a, a really, really stout international field, but um, I mean, the Americans are just as much. I'd say both both the men's and the women's fields are, you know, wildly competitive, regardless of nationality. And yeah, am I like a little bit terrified? Of course, it's going to hurt so bad <laughs> like um but it's one of those things it's funny because i know kyle said he started you start racing at you know as early as like mile 20 and and maybe i'm not as experienced as you at this race kyle i dnf'd in 2017 at mile 93 um but i dnf'd um like where i stopped on the trail i i was in i think third place at the time so I'm used to running mostly alone. I ran mostly alone in 2019. I mean, the only woman I saw were when I passed Courtney and then when, when Brittany and I hung out for a bit and, you know, there's always men around me, but it's still pretty sparse, you know? Right. <laughs> um, so, so I have a, and I get I, Kyle's like in the top 10, like overall. So, so there's not a ton of people around you either, but I mean, your races have just been so tight, right? Oh, and, it's, it's head to head <laughs> all the way to the finish line. All four years for me. I had to, yeah. I had to race in from no hands bridge all four years, hundred percent all out. Yeah. Which is super, super cool. So 
I guess this point being like, I, I'm a really big fan of running my race. Like I'm going to go my pace. If a lot of women want to go out fast, like be my guest. Um, I'm going to enjoy those first 30 miles. Hopefully we still have some wildflowers and then, and then it's just pain cave time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we got to, you know, if we're not crying or if we're not smiling, we're crying. So right, right. I, I want to at least be fake smiling for most of the day. <laughs> Sometimes that's enough. Yeah. How do you, I mean, do you have a sense of how you think the women's race might play out in the front? I mean, for the men, I think we have a, a, a pretty good idea of how it's going to go, you know, certainly from, from Jim's standpoint, you know, we've seen him Hoping run this. At the front. Yes. And, and, uh, I mean, Jared obviously likes to run from the front as well. You know, I, I think we can expect to see similar races from, from Kyle and, and Jeff, as we've seen in the past. And, you know, there's going to be a certain amount of carnage and there's going to be a certain amount of people who are moving up through the field over the back half, which is where the racing really gets interesting. For the women, do you have a sense of how this might go between, you know, I mean, I, I feel like the, maybe the, the patterns aren't quite as defined among the top women as, as among the top men in terms of how they like to run the race. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are dark horses in the men ra- men's race. Oh, sure. We got Kyle, we got Drew, you know, you got so many that, that could top in there. But yeah, I think the women's race will be really fascinating. We have had two years of pretty much no races, more or less. And everyone's training is wildly different. My training is like arguably I'm one of the lowest mileage person like on the start line, like period. Right. <laughs> like I don't really top above 70 miles a week. So yeah, does that put place me in a in a different spot than um some of my top competitors for sure. But I think that's what as Megan Hicks said, I saw her a couple weekends ago, Megan Hicks of I Run Far. She was like, that's what makes ultra running so, so cool. Like you could have someone who's running 130 mile weeks win Western States. Mm-hmm. You can have someone who's runs 60 mile weeks win Western States. Mm-hmm. And, and we just don't know, you know, like, and I would, I would like to, you know, I'd like to compete. My goal is definitely top 10. My goal is the same as, as Kyle's, but I'm not going to make like podium goals or even winning goals until pretty much after Michigan Bluff, mm-hmm. so mile 55. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Race starts after the canyons for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. You guys, uh, you know, we've talked about the depth of the field. Give us each maybe a, a dark horse or two on, on your respective sides that, that you're curious about how they're going to do or how you think they might, uh, you know, somebody who might sneak into the top 10 that we're not thinking of. He's, he's not really a dark horse, but I'll shout out Alex Nichols. He usually has the potential mm. to finish on the podium. Uh, Alex is a great runner and a, a great guy, and I hope to see him finish up really high. And I'll also shout out Pat Reagan. Mm-hmm. Same. He's extremely talented, just like Alex. Both of them have very high potential, both quite a bit higher than me, for sure, I would say. <laughs> and I think it'll be interesting to see how they do. Yeah, good picks. Good picks. What about you, Claire? Kyle, Kyle, I'm rooting for you. Just, just, just know that, Kyle. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Thank feeling the top five for you, Kyle. Okay. <laughs> not, out of, qu- not out of the question by any means. Yeah. I'm fitter yeah. than I've ever been before right now. Yeah. But, um, but to you, Claire, I'm, I'm rooting for you as well. Thanks. <laughs> um, I'm super stoked to see how Ruth Croft does. I know she's, you know, mentioned in all the pre-race yeah, like slots, but um, this is Ruth's first hundred mm-hmm. and Ruth is one of the greatest competitors 
I think on this planet. She is so fast. Yeah. She's so fun. She's like the most fun Kiwi you can imagine, right? We and that's love, a fun who doesn't love Ruth? And that's a fun um, bunch to begin with, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm I really hope I get to share some miles with her, whether she's ahead of me or behind me. Who knows? Um and then yeah, I'm stoked to see Addie Bracey put it together. Nice. I know Addie Bracey got ninth last year, but um I think Addie's one of the most talented runners in the field. So I'm, I'm rooting for Addie. I'm like, Hey, Addie, cut your long run short. And when, when you win Western States, you can thank me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You guys are so, all rooting for Addie. She lives real close to me. So we see each other on runs sometimes. Yeah. Awesome. We're all, we're all in the same little realm. Yeah. Now you guys both, both alluded to the fact that your buildups have gone well. Any changes to your training recently or specifically for this year, maybe around COVID or otherwise that, uh, you know, has been different in the past or, you know, what, what specifically has been great about this and has, has you guys in good shape? My training has been super different because normally I'm a run commuter. I've been run commuting more or less every work day since like 2011. And with COVID, it's been exclusively work from home. Hmm. So I've had to actually learn how to like plan out my runs and decide what I'm going to do rather than just slow jog with a backpack nine miles every day. Wow. Um, but I, I think putting a little bit more focus on my training, being forced to do so has made me run a little bit faster, but really I've seen myself just progress and be more capable of more volume and intensity every year I've done this since 2011 and this upward trajectory all, all reflected in my training and I keep telling myself this is going to be the year when I peak out and then the next year I can train a little bit harder so whether that would have happened if I hadn't changed anything I don't know but what I do know is I'm really fit right now and I'm excited to go test myself awesome what about you Claire what's training been yeah. like I think Kyle's story is really interesting. I haven't had as drastic of a change in lifestyle at all, other than I used to travel um, about half the year uh, for mostly environmental advocacy work. And yeah, so that didn't really happen. And I still, I, I yeah, I don't, I don't have much to say. I mean, I took 2020 pretty much off mentally Right. Um, yeah. So everything's looking good. I'm, I'm stoked. Here we are. Right. We're so lucky. We're finally back. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I think the anticipation, the anticipation for this race is just wild. Like, you know, again, cause it's been two years, it's been a long time since the big names really clashed and, and, uh, I, I can't wait. It's going to be so great. Yeah. I guess the, the one, great unique things that Kyle have done Kyle both Kyle and I have done is um pacing our buddy in the boundary waters yeah. uh my 30 miles with Alex was pretty much my longest run this year so we'll see how that works out <laughs> yeah my 40 miles was definitely my longest my longest run yeah so like All we'll right. see if our long runs worked out perfect <laughs> yeah. it was a perfect training camp that's fantastic yeah yeah What'll happen is, see, you guys are going to both podium, and then like next year, like next May, every everyone on the Western every State starting line is going to have like a Boundary Waters training camp weekend. I think that's a great reason to try and do really well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we've taken up a ton of your guys' time, and we definitely still want to do twenty questions. So let's move on to that. Uh, I, I know you guys have 
heard the show a little bit before. What we do with 20 Questions, we like to do this with very accomplished runners such as yourself who are well-known in our world and have probably been on a hundred different podcasts before. And so you've answered a lot of the same questions and people have heard you talk about all this stuff before. So we try and do a mix of some, you know, serious running related questions so we can, you know, maybe learn something from from the true greats and, and you know, maybe I'll take a couple of lessons away about preparation or, or racing or, you know, just hear some fun stories. But then also we have plenty of silly and stupid questions in there, too, just to kind of keep things interesting. So we'll do 20 each and, uh, you know, back and forth, rapid fire, go as long or as short as you like. And uh, then we'll let you go. Sound good? Sounds great. great. All right. Let's do it. Phil, you want to start us off with question number one? Uh, uh, okay. What is the toughest race that you've ever run? Never Summer 100K. Oh, really? What, what's hard about that? Amazing, actually. And uh, yeah, it's just north. It's kind of out. It's a couple hours away from Fort Collins, Colorado. So look it up. Do it. Yeah. Cool. Superior 100 mile. I tried to do it with almost no training when I was a newbie ultra runner and I heard about people running hundreds with like no training. It went very poorly. <laughs> yeah. You went probably... mile 50. Oh, wow. And my wife made me walk a mile down the trail before she would let me take my bib off. In fact, I tried to take it off sitting in a porta potty. And when I undid the safety pin, she jabbed the safety pin into my leg to prevent me from pulling, it, pulling the bib off. And told me I'm not allowed to drop unless I go with her pacing me a mile down the trail and then turn around and come back and then I could drop. So we did that. Wow. Yeah. That's some tough she love good, for she sure. Was a really good That's tough member. love, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to spin that forward into question number two your worst DNF or epic race failure. I take it that's going to be the same answer for you. That's quite a story. It's really my only one, honestly. But yeah. Training is, is a good thing to do. You should train before running an ultra. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. Mark that one down, Phil, as a lesson for the rest of us. <laughs> what about you, Claire? Worst DNF or epic race failure? Uh, definitely running 93 miles of Western States uh, to DNF. Yeah. Don't recommend it. Um, could I have finished? I don't know. To this day, I don't know. And I'm not going to think about it anymore because it was awful. <laughs> good. Good. Put it behind you. Excellent. Yeah. Question three, Phil. All right. What is your go-to aid station food? Coca-Cola. Well, that's a drink. Food is probably potatoes, chips late, late in a race, but I mainly do gels, to be honest. Like right. 30, every 30 minutes, like clockwork. No messing yeah. around. Yeah, I just do gels, sports drink, and water, and caffeine pills. Really? Yeah. So no real food? Maybe I should. <laughs> no, it's... I, <laughs> I mean, who who did? Uh, oh, yeah, Max, who we just had on, he said the last time he ran Western States, he did he ate seventy gels. That was all he took. Yeah. Yeah, sounds right. about right. Yeah. Claire, I was yeah. I was hoping you were going to go with um, you know Dunk, Duncan Hines frosting. Yeah, because that, yeah. that's that's now become one of my go to eight station food. Based. I on mean, that. yeah, I would eat frosting. I brought it. I have eaten it since Leadville in 2016, which is when I used it because I was so broke I couldn't buy any gels. <laughs> um, but I, I've I, gels are like a little bit easier to use on the fly yeah. than a tub of frosting. So <laughs> for sure, for sure. Yeah, sorry, Betty Crocker. <laughs> Quick question for you guys: speed work or hills? Both at the same time. I do almost all my speed work on hills. Nice. Nice. I'm a big speed work fan. Nice. Awesome. Yep. All right. Do you guys have 
a coach. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Actually, David Roche is a big speed work fan. Mm -hmm. He is my coach. He is a savant. He is also a former environmental lawyer, um, similar to what Kyle's been doing. Um, he's he's the best. I wholeheartedly think David is like, he's like my, my human. Ideal. My human God. <laughs> yeah. He, yeah. <laughs> he coaches both of us as well. Oh, right. Okay. I knew that. Yeah. 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 He's okay, amazing. Great. Yeah. We love David. Who doesn't love him? He coached him? my wife for a year as well. Yeah. Yeah. He's Ooh, fantastic. I, I learned a lot through him from his, him as well. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm not coached though. Have you ever been? No. I was coached in high school by somebody we talked about before the podcast. <laughs> I didn't think it was a very good coach, but I don't really need to drop his name. <laughs> yeah. We'll keep that one offline for now. Um. Okay. Uh, oh, that was me. No, no, that was you, Phil. Yep. Sorry, my. Um, it's your turn. Okay, Claire, you talked a little bit about this, but what's your what's your guys' typical weekly mileage in uh, in a kind of a big training block? I've been hovering right around seventy all spring. Mm -hmm. So I'm on the SWAT program, so I take at least one day off a week. Mm -hmm. I might like swim for thirty minutes, which like doesn't even count for exercise, really. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Leave it at that. Yep. Kyle? Yeah, in a big training block for 100, I'm usually going for 100 a week. I like to hit the triple digits. Um, I, it's probably related to some personal insecurity or, I don't know, some childhood <laughs> trauma or something like. <laughs> no, I have to gotta say. Got to hit 100. Right. Yeah. No, th I mean, there's something about that, though, right? Like, just the, I don't know, the, just the mental security that, that comes with that. It's just, it's, it is like a little security blanket, like just seeing those three digits in your in your logbook it's so helpful yeah but i do a lot of all uphill treadmill stuff that's like half my speed workouts sometimes i do like two a week and so the the actual volume is fairly high in terms of hours or in terms of vert even if i'm only hitting 100 miles so tell tell us a little bit not to get too deep in the weeds but tell us a little bit about what a typical uh like tread hike or treadmill workout work looks like for that yeah pretty typical would be like three by 10 minutes at 13% grade because there's really, really heavy cardio, but very minimal pounding. Yeah. So the body can just do a lot mm. of workouts like that and really optimize the cardio without breaking down the musculoskeletal system. That's, yeah. that's my view. It works for me. Yeah. And you're, you're Actual doing that mileage might vary run, run like moderate run pace, fast hike pace. Yeah. That, that would be like tempo or more or less like, couldn't do much more than the final minutes of the third interval. Right. Right. Yeah. Like you said, it's fantastic cardio and, and yeah, it saves you a lot of the pounding. That's, that's awesome. That's a good tip for those of you out there. Good one. Go ahead, Phil. Okay. Um, technical trail or buttery single track. We're going to have the same answer. <laughs> buttery single track yeah. all the way right kyle <laughs> the more buttery the better yeah. I, I don't like technical running the creamier the better spoken yeah. like spoken like true colorado runners for sure let's just not <laughs> have let's just not have any rocks at all yeah <laughs> no mud for sure yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> <No mud. laughs> Who, who's your all-time favorite runner i would say ryan smith is one of my all-time favorite runners oh another yeah, colorado ryan. boy yeah, so Ryan is one of the main reasons I'm I'm here today running. Uh, so and he's so underrated. I mean, he won Leadville last year. He's yeah. like 42. 
he's he's a dark horse in hard rock this year uh he brings that that british fell running energy to the states god i just love the dude so much he was phil he was a new york boy for a little while i remember racing him at uh the bear mountain 50k one year oh wow okay yeah but once you run up bear mountain you can run anywhere yeah exactly <laughs> yeah no, no buttery single track pretty there. rough <laughs> what about you kyle yeah, well, I'll, I'll agree that Ryan Smith is a badass. Um, for me, a favorite runner, I don't know. I, I don't. Okay, so I'll name someone. I don't actually know her. I don't know anything about her background other than her epic Western States finish in 2015, the video of which I've watched dozens of times and, like, it's brought me to tears. I'm going to go with Gunhild Swanson finishing mm. Western States mm, at yeah. 70. What a, what a badass. What a great answer. Yeah. That's fantastic. That's good. Great answer. Okay, um, if you could compete in any non-running sports at the Olympics, what would it be? Are there any other sports besides running? This is like all I know. <laughs> none, none that matter. <laughs> I would say swimming. I would say swimming for sure. I love water so much. I yeah. never will be a good swimmer, but um, oh, I just love it. Yeah. And it would be butterfly God. or? I, I mean, I, I like swam through high schools and i would do 50 free but or maybe a diver because i can't do any of that so in right. a different life i would love to be able to you know to just be so free in the air and then, and then in the water oh yeah. that's so high maybe up synchronized in the air swimming that's an olympic sport <laughs> yeah there you go that seems a lot easier <laughs> oh they can hold their breath really long you yes, know that that's true like, yeah yeah super cool what about you kyle soccer in the olympics right sure that yeah, yeah. Oh I was I was a God. pretty serious soccer kid, so I'll just go with that. Nice. It looks All right. sport I know. Sounds good. Give us a book recommendation. What's your favorite book or maybe the best book you've ever read or maybe just something recently that you've read that you enjoy? You go first, Claire, so I can think for a minute. Uh, well, <laughs> back on the water trends, I'm a huge ocean fan, which is why I live in Colorado. And uh, deep. So you probably have all heard of the book Breathe by James Nestor, which just yeah. came out, right? That yellow cover. Mm -hmm. So his first book is called Deep, D-E-E-P. And it's about freediving. It's about competitive freedivers turned like helping scientists um, study things like sperm whale and, and coral. Oh, wow. And if you're into the underwater world, it's a must read. Oh, that mm. sounds awesome. Yeah. yeah, it sounds great. Okay, I'll Kyle, give two answers. Don't Anything stress out Michael... about this. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the stakes are high here. Anything by Michael Pollan, he's probably my favorite writer. But while we're on the topic of environmental advocacy, I'll go with This Changes Everything by Naomi Klein, which is more or less the... It's, it's the environmental book of the times, so to speak. Nice. Yeah, great, great call. Yeah, really hones in on capitalism's uh, issue or capitalism. Naomi, Naomi Klein's a great writer, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great, great writer. Yeah. Good stuff. Okay, what is your, uh, what are your go-to pre-race meals? Fried rice, which is basically white rice with, like, oil and... Some egg? tamari yeah. right. and maybe some tofu nice sounds good kyle my answer is similar sushi rice maybe with soy sauce on it that's about it <laughs> yeah wow that's like the exact same Easy yeah. I, ate that, I ate that almost exclusively the day before the race and then the morning yep. of same 
That's nice. great. Avoid all I, I ate some at um at Forest Hill last time, Kyle. So you might want to have Stacy bring you some Forest Hill in a little well, tougher. You could just try and get there before Claire and grab her drop bag and just eat her rice. <laughs> well, then she'll be coming after you hot. She'll be like, where is he? <laughs> I don't think I'll be able to get much down anyway, so I don't think that's a concern. Oh, okay. Um, all right. Maybe an easy one, maybe a tough one. What's your favorite race? So cliche. <laughs> Can we say favorite race aside from Western States? Sure. Is is Western States the easy answer? Because that, that seemed... That... Yeah, it is yeah. for me. Okay. I'll, okay, I'll just go with that. But no, no, what's your then, favorite non-Western race? That's fine. I don't have one, so I'll just yeah, go Now you have to think about oh it. Okay. Yeah. My... Worst answer ever. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. No, Wasting it's okay. Your time. You're a proper fan of, of Western States. I would not say Western States. I actually am just totally in love with this race I just did in Idaho. It's Luke Nelson's Scout Mountain Ultras. Mm-hmm. I've done the 21-miler for the past two two times it's run and I just can't s- say enough about this. I mean, there's incredible car camping at the start finish, just such good energy. You know, you're out of service, you're, you're there, you're engrossed in the community as the sweet Enviro, um, like tabling things. So you can learn about local issues. I just love it. Um, you know, that's awesome. Go Idaho. It's got, yeah, a, got a real, real old school sound to it. Yeah, and it's there's a fifty and a hundred, and it was originally created by Jared Campbell. So if that says anything, Phil's hero. <laughs> I've heard a lot of good stuff about Idaho. I mean, it really does sound amazing. Yeah, great. Um, what is your taper strategy the week before a race? I'll run like three, four mile runs every other day or something. Try to get into heat. Ideally, get in one or two sauna sessions. And that's about it. So you right. taper really hard. Yeah, I taper hard. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I taper, I, like, I listen to what David says, and I don't think too much about it. I don't taper crazy hard because I'm not running 100-mile weeks. Right. Like, two years ago, I was in Alaska until, like, four days before the race. Right, yeah, I remember. So I'm actually trying to channel that. I'm like, what was, what was my body doing? Anyway, I was hiking with a 60-pound pack for two weeks, and – so I'm like, maybe I should go for a walk with a heavy backpack, <laughs> <laughs> which just feels stupid. So we'll see if this like traditional taper works out. <laughs> I'll also do some treadmill hiking. Yeah. yeah. Hiking I think it's good. Low impact. Nice. Yeah. Uh, do you play a musical instrument? And if not, what do you wish you could play? At present, no. I played trombone as a kid. I was I was pretty good at it. And then I dropped it. I think that's the second trombone answer we've had. I can't remember who the last one was, though. The the band's stereotype is that it's, like, lanky guys who play trombone. (laughs) And somehow I sort of fit that. Right. Love that. I do not. I am so musically uh, inept. But I love, love listening to music. So I wish I could uh, even just read music would be cool. (laughs) 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 sorry mom (laughs) (laughs) go ahead phil all right um who would play you in a movie based on your life (laughs) wow that's a pretty ego heavy question phil (laughs) jay friedman (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, God. I mean, this is you, Kyle. Go for it. <laughs> not going there. They're Sorry. not touching this one. <laughs> not touching that. I mean, whoever, I guess, like, kind of looks like me, but I couldn't tell you. And I, I, I mean, it would be cool. I would want maybe one of my younger cousins who's, like, really into theater to play me because they're more talented and the theatrics than me. So, cool. you know, and we're related. So All right. Yeah. Let's go with that. That's fine. Make stars out That's of them. Screw celebrities. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, what, what race is on your bucket list? Kyle, Kyle just got away with not answering that question. <laughs> 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 Lawyers know how to yeah, answer questions. Just, just up. <laughs> oh, gosh. All right. Yeah. What race is on your guys' bucket list? I would love to do this race in Tasmania, which is a little island off of uh, Australia. It's part of Australia called the Tekina Ultra. Tekina is this forest, bunch of old growth forest that's currently being logged for shit like toilet paper. Hmm. Um, oldest rainforest on the planet, one of them. So I would love to go there, see awesome. it for myself. Yeah. What about you, Kyle? I've got a bunch. I'll just say one that's exciting is Ultra Trail Mount Fuji because I, I like Japan and it's, the, I guess, the premier race there. Yeah. It's 100 miles, so it might be a good yeah. one for me. Yeah, that, that race has a great reputation. That looks pretty amazing. What motivates you when things start to suck? For me, that's easy. If I slow down, they get even worse. So the faster I run, the faster my respiratory rate is. So I get more oxygen to my belly, which which is the only way I can fight the nausea. So the puke monster is chasing me the whole race. <laughs> right. The only way I can beat the puke monster is to run faster and breathe heavier. Right. It's really weird, but that's my primary motivator. And that's, yeah. I think that's why I I'm, I'm tend to be a strong finisher in ultras is that I get so nauseous that if I don't run fast, I'll just puke and completely have my stomach shut down. And that's what happens to me at the finish line when I actually do stop running. So I can't stop or the puke monster will catch me. Wow. All right. That's intense. <laughs> That's beautiful, Kyle. Mine is less physiologically based. Um, mine's a little more heady, but I think of um, things like climate change and inescapable suffering, which I've never experienced in my life, which, I mean, that sounds pretty dark, but like at the end of the day, we're just running 100 miles. Like, who cares? Um, yeah. yeah. Like, I, and I know that's like, Maybe bad to say, but that's what motivates me. If like, fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, going, I, I, I you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, what's your favorite beer? Mm, I'm a celiac, so I can't drink beer, but I'm a big margarita fan. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Yeah. You go salt or no salt? Always salt. Always salt. Good answer. What about you, Kyle? Ooh, while, while we're on the subject of genetic disorders, I have the Asian flush, the alcohol flush reaction. Do you really? So I'm more or less a non-drinker because one, one drink within an hour and I'll get like a 120 resting heart rate and a raging headache. Oh, my God. So I, can, I can sip really anything, but it has to be over the course of hours, so I just don't do it very often. It's All right. pretty lame. Beer does taste good, though. I wish I could drink more. Yeah, it does taste good. I'm not going to dispute that. All right. Phil, question 19. Okay. Um, what changes do you see in Ultra over the next five to 10 years? I see it getting faster, more competitive. I hope it becomes even 
less impactful of the environment like that's a that's a really big hope like yes there's all this like money coming into ultra running i personally think that's inevitable and i'm excited to see what we can do you know like let's let's make the world a better place while we're at it yeah i think the overlap between the trail ultra scene and conservation and protection of public lands has has just been growing and becoming more prominent each year. So hopefully we'll see that trend continue. And then a second point I'll just add, I think the media coverage is going to be infinitely better 10 years from now. This is the first year Western States is going to have a live coverage for the yeah. entire duration of the race, like with a video, like something people can watch and listen to. And it's really overdue for us to have something like that at the premier North American ultra. So yeah. I'm really excited to see what Western States does with the media coverage this year. And I know tons of people are going to be watching it and I hope they, I hope they do a good job. I'm sure there'll be some kinks to work out the first year, but it's a huge step. And I'm so glad they're investing the resources in giving something for the spectators around the world to enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's really exciting that having that, I mean, it's just, it's going to make it even better than it already is. I mean, it's going to be so, so cool. Great. All right. We'll finish this with, one of our dumber questions, although not our dumbest question, I'll qualify it with that. What celebrity do you wish would follow you on Instagram? None. I want all of social media to be gone. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> all right. Kyle? I guess right now, Joe Biden. So he gets some policy recommendations from me. <laughs> That's a great answer. That's a good answer. Yeah. Really good. Oh, uh, Uncle Joe. All right, let's make that happen. Guys, this was great. Thank you so much for coming on, sharing your story, sharing your expertise. And uh, we can't wait to, to watch you guys next weekend. Good luck. Uh, I can't I, I can't wish you enough luck, and I'm, I'm pulling for both of you. It's going to be fantastic. Thanks so much for having us. Appreciate it. Yeah, Good luck in Montezuma's Revenge, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for giving us a platform to help spread the word about the campaign to save the Boundary Waters and raise awareness about how great the trails are there. Of course, yeah. And we'll link to all that stuff uh, in, the, in the show notes. Please, to everybody, um, you know, look into what's going on with the Boundary Waters. Please read Alex's story and uh, about all the, all the great stuff that happened last month. And yeah, reach out to your representative and let them know that this is something important that they need to be, they need to be involved in and aware of. Um, thank Hell yeah. Yeah, and, and let's have you guys back on soon, maybe after States, and, and we'll have uh, some victory reports to get to. Sweet. <laughs> Thanks, you guys. Both, yeah, Appreciate race. it. Thank you, guys. Thanks to everyone Thanks. for listening, and until next time in the pain cave, keep putting one foot in front of the other. Broken down and beaten up, the years have been long and tough, but I'm not dead. Happy now just to spend some time with friends and have a roof above my head. I'm not jaded, just been faded like a good old pair of jeans. Rusty like a proud old car that's drove a little too far and seen too much rain. But long ago, as a child, I look about the night sky in the bus feel upset to think of all the years I'd have to go through there I was still young I was still young and I was still
sound. 